and welcome back to They Made Another One? Each week we study an often forgotten installment in a franchise and see how it holds up on its own. I am one of your hosts, Corey. And I'm your other host, Liam. And this week, I think, Liam, appropriately, we are facing a litany of technical difficulties. We just finished roughly 30 minutes of breaking our brains against incomprehensible, haunted technology, giving me shades of Clancy Brown in a way that I don't really appreciate. But, um, you know, given the the movie that we're talking about today, um, I feel like uh, our scientist friends in uh, in these movies have had their, their own technical difficulties. So maybe it's just on theme. That's right, dude. Maybe it's uh, Eric Stoltz that we have to go after now. Now that we're cool with Clancy Brown, maybe it's Stoltz that is uh, the bane of our existence in season two. The new the new big bad. Yeah, we, we we're establishing our new villain, and I think it's probably because he heard um he heard our Back to the Future episode, and he probably didn't come up much, and maybe he's still feeling a bit jaded from missing out on what is very clearly now in hindsight a huge opportunity. <laughs> Maybe That's right. He's a little he jaded. He was listening to Back to the Future Part Three episode, and he was like, "I get that it's the third movie, but come on, guys, I was I, I'm related <laughs> to this. Mention me. I feel and I feel like we probably did, but like once, you know what I mean? Like we didn't have a lot of time for Eric Stoltz that day, and we're about to give him a lot of time. But I think um, maybe he's still got he, he's got his um, his electricity hands all in our business because. Um, there's some stupid voodoo shit going on. Uh, speaking of that, uh, I hate to... In, I don't want to be the bearer of bad news, but uh, we did reveal a big, exciting soundboard last week, and we're very excited about that. Jason, thank you very much for, for your hard work. Uh, can't use it right now, because um, it's really hot in the room that I'm in, and uh, the only way we can make the soundboard work heats up my laptop an insane amount, and I'm worried something bad would happen to it in a hot room using that for an hour or more so uh until we find a better solution to those two problems um we're just gonna have to deal and i'll fix this in post if there's anything wrong with it and we're gonna go on this journey together um liam has anything been going on just in your day or week that uh, is maybe a salve to our technological woes how are you doing i feel like we've we've occasionally missed our how are we doing segment it's true, because how are we doing just keeps getting overridden by technical problems, mm. and, and we don't really get to talk all that much, you know? It's really, this was Eric Stoltz's plan all along. He heard how much fun we have on the podcast, and he thought, how do I hit these guys where it hurts? I know, I take away their their pleasantries at the beginning of the episode. <laughs> Kill the friendship from the inside out. Yeah, It's, so it's a uh, known fact that Eric Stoltz hates friendship. <laughs> he does. Yeah, it's true. He's never yeah, had a friend before. <laughs> Yeah, and then once he was cut out of Back to the Future, that was the final straw. Mm-hmm. Because his, fr- his, friend was, his friend was the concept of time travel. Yeah, and they took it away from him, and then this one, his friend, was the concept of teleportation. They took that away from him, too. How he dare they? Uh, no, I'm good, man. Um, it's definitely hot, you know, where Corey and I are mostly in the same city for the most, most part, and uh, it's hot for show. So I've been... Uh, trying to stay inside despite not having air conditioning you know i throw on a couple table fans and uh that cool colorful that one place. Uh, colorful yeah colorful i'll, I I'll fucking put a, love that fan i'll tweet out a picture of that fan with the episode so you guys can see it i do have a colorful fisher price-esque fan that keeps me and my dog cool on those hot nights uh, so i've been hanging out inside um 
mostly, you know, like without much clothes on. Uh, nice. I've been watching some TV. Like last night, this this is this is kind of cool and apt for the podcast. I watched my first episode of the Shudder series Cursed Films. Have you heard about this? Uh, no, I have not. Tell me more about that. Yeah, it's very, very cool. It came out a few weeks ago, and it's an episodic series of five episodes, and each episode just focuses on a film that is said to be cursed, that is said to have some sort of voodoo over it that either um, made mishaps happen in the production or made bad things happen to the actors afterwards. The, the installments, to give you an idea, if you know some of these films' history, the installments are Poltergeist, The Omen, Twilight Zone, the movie, which we've talked about briefly on this podcast, Yeah, um, The Crow, which we're looking to get to on this podcast, mm-hmm. and, uh, oh, and The Exorcist. Of course, The Exorcist is in there as well. And so I started off the series um, watching the Poltergeist episode, which isn't the first episode once you put it on Shudder. Wow. But uh, but I heard an interview with the director saying that he intended for, though though the, the program is episodic and each one deals with its own film, he did kind of approach it like, a, a bigger movie that is a thematic that consistency chapters. if you follow it kind of thing yeah and okay. and shutter shutter put it up out of the order he intended when editing it so poltergeist despite being the third episode was actually his intended first episode because it, it starts with people talking about what a cursed film is in general and is a and poltergeist i think out of all those movies is kind of the most infamous curse film you know i think we talked about that on the podcast that uh, a few of the actors and actresses died after the movie came out, maybe because they used real skeletons in uh, the first Poltergeist movie is the urban legend. And so I uh, I started with that one. I was really excited about starting with that one. And it was great. It's, it's a short watch. It's about tw- 25 minutes long. And that's the case for um, all the episodes that I haven't gotten to yet. And Poltergeist was a really cool one to start with because it spends a lot of time, Corey, on Poltergeist 3. Oh, shit, There's, yeah, it does. Uh, extended interview with the director of that movie who hasn't, as we talked about, I don't think he's really made a movie since. And if he has, uh, it's it's not been a long career for him. And he comes across so well in this movie. He, yeah. In this episode, he is so articulate He's so he seems so empathetic because, of course, he's talking for the most part about how Heather O'Rourke died before the mm. film was completed. And he's talking about how he didn't want to finish the movie, um, but he was forced to by the studios. And he said that having to do that last scene, um, the scene that that we didn't like at all, actually, um, was forced upon him and having to use a stand-in for Heather O'Rourke said it, he, it made him feel terrible. He refused to do any promotion for the movie and he comes across so well. It made me appreciate the movie so much more and it also just made me think, wow, if that tragedy had not happened, what a better movie I think we would have had because in the editing room and in um, just the in terms of structuring it as you're filming it, we wouldn't have got the ending we would have got and he he might have been a bit more um, focused and and passionate about yeah. putting the movie together. Maybe he would have got to make more movies. And so it just it's really an achievement uh, that that movie is as good as it is. Then 
Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I, I think what I've read is that he feels uh, similar to the way I did, especially right after watching where I saw all the good stuff, but also there was stuff in it that bothered me. I'm sure there's stuff in that movie he's really proud of. But it seems, of course, the the overwhelming feeling is that he's he's not even sure he would have uh, wanted Finish to make it. the movie. Yeah. Yeah. But it's it's really it's a really cool series, a really cool concept. I'm excited to check out the other episodes. And it was nice getting a bit of background information about a movie that I otherwise wouldn't have known about. Because even if I had watched that episode um, without us doing the Poltergeist 3 screening, I, I would have missed so much because a, a large amount of it focuses on that movie. And I was only familiar with that first film. So that that was a lot of fun. Yeah, no, that sounds awesome, and that's probably something I want to check out too. I don't have Shutter, but um, I can figure that out. There's there are ways. Um, one of them is probably just getting Shutter. Shutter can't be that expensive, right? It's like oh, and and you can get a free month, and also most podcasts, horror podcasts, do a promotion where you can get some uh, some discount on there. But you know, it's it's, it's like regular. Hey, Shutter, like if you want if you want me to be a member. Give us a promo code and we will hawk your services for you. Uh, maybe one day. I wonder if we have to go full horror for that to happen. I wonder yeah, how open-minded you can argue are. that we've covered exclusively horror movies if you expand your horizons of what horror means. That's true. And you know what? They have a they were pretty... forcing that chimpanzee to skateboard. That's horrifying. <laughs> They have a pretty um, open-ended view of what horror is on that site, too. I just noticed last night that a new arrival of on their site is Brick by Ryan Johnson, which is oh, we're in. Just, Fuck uh, yeah. a noir crime movie, you yeah. know, so, so I think we can get in. Shudder, call us. Let's do it. Speaking of horror, um, the thing I'll talk about quick, because I haven't been up to much. I'm on vacation from work right now. I got the Cat People soundtrack on CD the other day. Pretty excited CD, about that. Yeah. yeah, that's in my car now. Does this exist on vinyl? Because I feel like if yeah, it did, that. it does. It's just that the only one that was available was like a used copy that I didn't particularly want because it looked like it was kind of beat to shit um, in a way that it might not play great. Um, so I'll see if I can find a different one because as far as I'm aware, it hasn't been reprinted or if it is, I haven't seen it. I'm sure it's been reprinted somewhere. That seems like something Mondo would be all over or some shit. But uh, yeah, so I have that in my car, ripping around to some Cat People soundtrack. And the other day uh, I watched the movie, the movie House. Um, and when I say that to people, some people have been confused lately. I mean, um, the 70s Japanese uh, Nobuhiko Obayashi movie house, um, where those girls go to their aunt, her aunt's house and a bunch of kooky shit happens. Have yeah. you seen that? No, you know what? I haven't seen it front to back, but it's a movie that I've recommended to people because I know enough oh, about it's good it shit. And, I, and I've read enough about it. You know what I mean? It's such an iconic movie, but I've never... Uh, gotten the chance or or pushed myself to actually sit down and watch the whole thing yeah it's on criterion so maybe we could trade streaming services for a day and then i'll get the tv show and you can watch house uh, yeah freaky um, friday freaky, yeah we're gonna freaky friday ourselves uh and then we'll talk about that experience on the podcast because that's essentially a remake of freaky friday um <laughs> i'm not gonna drone on about it uh in part because i saw it a little while ago now like a week and a half or something and i've, I've i don't want to flub the details but um it's fascinating to me that uh, that movie exists at all. It's so stylistically wild and it makes a lot of really bold choices and all the kids are great. Um, and it's just fun. It's fucking nuts. It's a crazy movie. It's a good time. And there's a lot to dig into if you're looking for like 
deeper levels of analysis but if you also just want um a floating head to come out of a well and bite someone on their ass that's also here so i mean you know it's got everything <laughs> nice yeah do it house and scoob double feature everybody. i actually i watched those on the same day <laughs> i know that's, that's one day so apart good. maybe yeah so i was definitely in a bit of a scooby-doo zone when i watched that which i think was super appropriate a movie that I think wouldn't benefit from a Scooby-Doo zone is The Fly. And that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about The Fly 2. Um, and for anybody who doesn't know, The Fly 2 is a 1989 movie directed by Chris Wallace, who did um, creature effects on The Fly, made models for E.T., directed a movie called The Vagrant. Oh boy, I forgot to write down the writer credits. What a hilarious irony. Um, oh, I know them. I uh, have them in front of me. Uh, so I'll rattle okay. them off quick, but then you can chime in with something you want to mention. Uh, Mick Garris, Frank Darabont, which is the name I recognized. Um, and I'm sure that's a name that you're deeply familiar with. And then Ken and Jim Wheats and or Wheat. Ken, Ken Wheat and Jim Wheat. There's a portal on the Wikipedia page, which is wrong. I'm noticing they also wrote a Nightmare on Elm Street movie. So I get why you know who these people are. All three of those people, or I guess Ken and, Ken and Jim are two people, but each of those have a separate writing credit, which implies to me that like they each took a pass at it. So I guess before I continue, what do you know about those boys? Uh, so Mick Garris and Frank Darabont, I both know because of their huge Stephen King connection. So Frank Darabont did the Shawshank Redemption and he did the Green Mile and he also did the Mist. Right. All great, great Stephen King adaptations. And so he's, he's a big King fan. They work, um, kind of hand in hand. They have a really good relationship and Mick Garris the same way because Mick Garris, um, directed the shining miniseries for tv so okay. that was the that was the the shining series that stephen king produced himself because he wanted something closer to the book yeah and what stanley kubrick did he's also done yeah he's an actor in the thriller music video that's right yeah and <laughs> um he has mick Garris has a fantastic pod podcast that was on uh, the Blumhouse podcast network for a while and then Fangoria and I think it's on hiatus now because a lot of the Fangoria shows are pulled but he has an amazing podcast where every single week um, maybe every two weeks he has a discussion with um, someone involved in the horror world a lot like visitations um, okay yeah but it, it's it's more of a sit-down interview and he he is amazing stuff richard stanley um post, he has is it post-mortem with mick garris or is that something that's, else no that's exactly okay, it that's cool exactly it. it is one of my favorite podcasts i'm dying for when it comes back he has so many cool um and uh honest stories on there um just great great discussions and i i want to dig back into the catalog now that i know he was involved in the fly too because i'm sure he's mentioned it before on episodes i've listened to but it never really clicked with me and now i know that i would i would love to check out more of those episodes and hear some of his anecdotes about it because he's he he mentions a lot of the stuff that he's worked on just in passing in these episodes but he's a super humble guy and so he's not he's not always um like flaunting the things he's done before but he he did uh sleepwalkers as a stephen king movie he also did psycho 2 i believe and 4 
And four. Yeah. So I, I hope we're going to do one of the movies that he's directed on this podcast at some point. But he's just he's one of my favorite people. Um, right. I'm not seeing Psycho 2, but he definitely did Psycho 4. OK, I must just be that one then. Um, and he, so he's he's one of my favorite people in the horror world. I actually haven't given a lot of his or really any of his actual film work um, a revisit or a fair shake. Like I've seen a movie he did called Riding the Bullet. Um, but that was when I was a kid. Um, I haven't seen Sleepwalkers. I haven't seen uh, the full Shining miniseries. And so he's a dude that haven't I haven't seen Critters 2. Yeah, but but we need to do that on the podcast because, man, do I love Critters. And so this <laughs> is a dude that I'm really looking forward to learning about his work now that I really love him as a person. And so seeing his name on here really surprised me and excited me, but also got me a bit trepidatious because. His, his reputation um, as a person is great and people love him in the horror world, okay. but, but his reputation as a filmmaker isn't quite there because a lot of these movies that he's done are sort of maligned, like the, the Shining miniseries, right. Sleepwalkers. Um, uh, he did the Stand miniseries, which I think I've, I've just heard average things about. Yeah. Um, we... Uh, we can't so, go on another sure. we can't go on another tangent we can't last week was tangent cast all we did was yeah. tangents but yeah i'm seeing here that there was a nightmare on elm street anthology television series oh yeah 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 it was uh, uh freddy's nightmares or something yeah guess what oh we're doing on this show episodes of that <laughs> yeah totally please totally. please please yeah, and, and and while you're bringing that up, it reminds me that Mick Garris was also the mastermind behind something in the early 2000s called Masters of Horror. Yeah, I saw a ton was, of those credits there, yeah. Yeah, so he just got a huge director to come in and kind of got a blank check to do any episode they wanted, any story they wanted. And so Joe Dante has done one. I believe John John Carpenter did yeah. one. Just a huge horror legend. So Video he's, he's a really cool dude. Yeah. Yeah. Also, uh, can I chime in with the Ken and Jim Wheat? Because I've found out some exciting things about those boys. Sure. Yeah, I didn't know about them. So, um, let's so here is select bit from their writing credits. Ewoks, the battle for Endor. Fuck yeah. Um, a Nightmare on Elm Street 4, the Dream Master, uh, which mm. has a sick ass poster. Holy fuck. We're coming for you, Dream Master. We are. Corey, We're going to talk about this recently. Yeah. What would be a good nightmare film to go back to? That's one of them. Yeah. Um, the Fly 2. Uh, the Birds 2, which is something oh, we wanted man. to do months and months and months ago. We talked about doing The Birds 2, and we can't find that shit fucking anywhere. Oh, that. Oh, yes, dude. That. When you said the birds too, I said, "Well, that has to go on the list." Yeah, and you we, we tried watching we tried. that for episode like fifteen. Oh, I so do recall. If if anybody listening, anybody at all knows where we can find the birds too, please, yes, let yes, us know. Listen, when when Corey and I were talking about just doing the fly too, we had some trouble finding it because it wasn't uh, rentable anywhere. I didn't have a physical copy. I watched a terrible bootleg of it. <laughs> That's right. And so we had to resort to the bootleg life and we couldn't do that for the birds too. And I said to Corey, it would be so sweet to do an on the road episode where we just go into a pawn shop or, you know, an old record store and dig through DVDs or VHS tapes and find something that looks fitting for the show, but that we have no idea about. And that probably isn't available online. And so if anyone 
has a pawn shop in their town that has a copy of the birds too. I'll e-transfer you the money, yeah, whatever we'll, it costs. We'll pay, we'll pay you if somebody wants to even send us a copy of the birds too. Yeah. yeah we would if you don't want us to keep it, we'll mail it back to you. That's right. You can be on the episode too. We just oh, need fuck to yeah, you can. Proof. Also, uh, they wrote Pitch Black, like the first Riddick huh. movie. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. So that's what those boys are up to. Uh, real quick, just to run through the rest here so we can get rolling. Edited by Sean Barton. Cinematography by Robin Vigian. Music by Christopher Young, who we've heard before um, in Hellraiser, the first one. Um, he also did the music for Nightmare on Elm Street 2. Uh, Tales from the Hood. Spider-Man nice. 3. Like the Raimi one. Uh, yeah, the remake of Pet Cemetery from the other year, whenever that happened. Dude, I'm hearing a lot of a lot of stuff on this episode that is just like things we need to very get to more on the stuff that we have in some yeah. capacity, like very familiar this, topics. This shows me that we've finally we've proved ourselves to be historians and carved out a niche for ourselves. Yeah, where we know the people that are involved with just movies like this now. Yeah, I, I recognize this name for sure. I just had to look up what it was, and then nice. as a cast here, we've got a. Eric Stoltz, and then Hartley Cross is the young Martin character. Daphne Zuniga, Lee Richardson, Gary Chalk, Anne-Marie Lee, Frank Turner, and John Getz. That's pretty much all you need. Um, And so, real quick, um, what is up with you, Liam, and the original The Fly? And you can take that question however you want. You can take that as the 50s movie The Fly, or you can take that as the Jeff Goldblum david cronenberg movie the fly take your pick sure well I'll, I'll address both so i don't leave anyone hanging in terms of the original original fly from the 50s i have not seen it and i know very little about it um i just learned today actually that there are sequels to that movie and so i think it would be cool to go back to the flyiverse at some point on this podcast check those out but i've not seen any of those original ones but the David Cronenberg one from the 80s, I have seen, and I love it so much, man. I love that movie. I love the acting. Body effects are some of the greatest. Uh, the story is just so killer. So killer that I, I want to, I should see the original, the Fly movie, because it's just such a great concept that um, I would love to see the story told in different ways. And uh, I, I, I just, this. I, whenever I think of the fly, I just kind of want to watch it again because it just feels like such a, it's it's such a it's it's a it's the classic in that when when I first watched it, I was like, oh shit, where's this movie been all my life, you know? Oh um, yeah, yeah. So it it's a it's a great movie, and I was excited to check out the sequel just because of that reason. And uh, I've seen the fly few enough times. I think I've seen it twice that. I still haven't worn it out. And so the thought of watching it again still really excites me. So I totally dig that, that, uh, David Cronenberg version. Yeah, that's tight. I feel like we've had a lot of movies come up where you say it's a movie you like totally love. And I don't even say that in a disparaging way. Cause I love that you love a lot of things. I just feel like we've hit a lot of those at this point on the show. Yeah. I'm a loving guy, man. What can I say? <laughs> These arms were made for, uh, hugging and not for punching. Yeah, the trick, Corey, is that every movie you watch, it has to start as a 10, not as a 5, not as a 0. And then you have to find reasons to not like it and lower the score. But if you do that, then you'll love more shit. That's that's my advice. So what does it take to get like a 3? How bad do things have to get? Uh, Give an example guess, of a 3 out of 10. 
So it would be better than the Flintstones, Viva Rock Vegas, but worse than Scoob. Okay. I guess that would leave you at like Paul Schrader's Cat People. You said that just to upset me. <laughs> <laughs> you said that just to make me mad. Um, I, cer- I certainly did. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But no, I get it for sure. Um, I've seen The Fly for sure. Cronenberg. Yeah. Did I see no. it all in one sitting? I don't think so. Have I seen the whole of the movie? I'm like 90% sure. Um, I remembered a lot of things about it. I know I've seen the pivotal scenes. Did I sit down and watch the movie one day? I don't know. Did I get that through osmosis, seeing it on a TV various times across the course of my life? Potentially. Um, So I don't really know how to quantify that. Um, I've liked what I've seen and what I remember seeing. Uh, It's real gross. It's a gross movie. The effects it are is. good, and it makes it makes me sad because the effects are good, and it's gross. Um, it's got some peak Jeff Goldblum going on, which we've had the pleasure of experiencing on this podcast as well. Um, thanks, New Jersey. Um, but in terms of like your sort of undying affection for it, I don't know if I'm there, at least in part because I don't know if I've seen it properly enough to do that. And that's pretty much it. And as for the original, yeah, I have no idea. Like, the 50s shit, I have no idea at all. And uh, I thought about, like, looking some stuff up because I'm like, is it unprofessional if I just come into this? And I'm like, I don't know what the fuck's going on with that. And and I decided the answer was no, it's not because most people probably don't. So I feel like I get a pass. Right. So so you're saying you didn't look up anything about The Fly. About the 50s movie. About the 50s movie. Right, right, right. Yeah, 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 totally. I feel like I get a pass. Yeah, I don't hear anything about it at all. I'm not even... I don't even know if it's a horror movie. To I'm be not honest convinced it exists. Yeah, just the Cronenberg movie is just like so it's so big and demands attention. It's one of those remakes that eclipse the original. I think we've done a few of those on this podcast where it's just they're they're so big that you don't even think about what came before them. And so, you know, for that reason, it'd probably be worth visiting the, that original franchise. But yeah. I'm with you. man. I, I don't know who's in it. I don't know who did it. I don't know what the tone is. I don't know. Yeah, um, but what we do know who is in it and what the tone is, is uh, The Fly 2. Uh, nice. Quick rundown of The Fly 2. Yeah, I'm just crushing the Segway game today. Um, the Fly 2 focuses on the son of the Jeff Goldblum character from the first movie, whose name is Martin. Martin has um, reverse Benjamin Button's disease. I forget what it's actually called in the movie. For some reason, I didn't write it down. Isn't um, that just aging? Nobody ages. <laughs> yeah, I guess you're right. Uh, he's got reverse fast Benjamin's yeah. Button's disease. <laughs> Ultra reverse Benjamin Button's disease. He's speedrunning reality. Yes. Is what he's doing. Um I can't really it's like Brundle's genetic accelerations disease or something. Something in yeah. that vein. That um, sounds good. Kid grows up real fast. Uh at the age of Don't three, he's got the physique of a ten year old boy. Um, and then when he's five he looks like a fully grown adult man. Got the physique of a sexy man. He's got the physique of sexual Eric Stoltz. Oh, man. And if you want a movie where they, uh, a creative team decided it was totally kosher to have a sex scene with a character that's five years old, we found it. It, it does pose an interesting question, doesn't it, it? I could not stop thinking about the fact that they were showing a sex scene where the character is literally five. I know, dude. Like, I, I, I thought could, about And that. why was Beth just like, fuck yeah, I'm in? 
Yeah, like, cuz she for... she clearly knows. She clearly knows. Yeah, it's almost like the movie is uh it's just so sure of the fact <laughs> that like it's cool and maybe it is cool, but, but it's, it's something cool. that you kind of maybe it's something you, it's like it's something that you got to at least think about and so maybe a line or two would have would have helped in this movie. Yeah, like, cuz like I don't know, man. Um, they illustrate that his like maturity is more or less there as well, but it's like you gotta make that crystal fucking clear. Like you gotta make that the most clear anything has ever been. That everything is above board. But anyway, yeah. not to focus here. So he grows up at Bartok Industries, which is where his mom died giving birth to him. Um, the nightmare larvae fetus, and um, he's got this terrible affliction. And we've got Bartok himself, who is played by Lee Richardson, who's in charge of the facility. And they monitor him, and he's like a hyper genius, basically. And once he becomes an adult, they sort of get fewer prying eyes on him. They give him like an apartment, and they're like, okay, so the catch is you got to help make the thing that your dad was working on work. Um, and he does that, but then would you believe he starts turning into a fly? What if I told you he started turning into a fly? <laughs> and oh, um, oh my god then there is uh you know a bit of a, um, a chase and they need to sort of try to get him back and he's actively turning into a monster etc etc it's very similar to the fly um if you've seen that film um that's sort of the gist of it what were your expectations like coming into this uh, especially as someone who uh is really really into the first movie well, I tell you what, I, I was stoked to see the effects because the one thing I, I really knew about this movie was that it was directed by the dude who did the effects from the first movie. Yeah. Um, I knew that going in. I didn't know who the star was. I didn't know if Jeff Goldblum and Gina Davis were going to show up. I didn't know the writing team. I just knew that the, the director was the effects guy from the original. And so that's a really interesting wrinkle to me. I was so stoked to see the effects at least um just like in that moment i wasn't sure that the effects would add up to anything that's what i was afraid of was that the story or the acting wouldn't be there and it would just feel like a movie done by someone that didn't understand the heart um of the original or did understand it but just didn't have the chops to make that come across on screen and so those were some of my thoughts going in um also, I was curious as to what the movie would be about because I have heard so little about it. Yeah. Um, basically, this I, I knew as, as little about it as I did about the original movies. Uh, all I knew was the director. Besides that, I knew nothing. Haven't heard people talk about this on horror websites. Um, and, and that kind of surprised me because while the disconnect from the movies from the 50s makes a bit of sense, uh having this movie be a direct sequel that came out not that long after david cronenberg's the fly i thought i would have heard more about it and i didn't and i wasn't sure why that was and so um i, I was i was ready to to see anything really but mostly i was just stoked to see some wicked effects i i wasn't i guess i wasn't anticipating something that would be on the level of that original movie just because i know how much people love david cronenberg's the fly and um i feel like if this was anywhere near that level i would have heard about it yeah no i think so my expectations were not high but not in like a negative way does that make sense i was just like we'll see what happens because yeah. it's so 
not discussed that I was like, it's probably not a cult favorite or anything. It just kind of exists, which means like there's room for me to be pleasantly surprised. Um, if I am left underwhelmed, nothing has changed and it would have to be really bad to disappoint me, which is a pretty right. good spot to be in. Yeah, these these are kind of the movies that I love giving a try on this podcast because that's given us stuff like Poltergeist 3 and uh, Texas Chainsaw, The Next Generation. Yeah, um, which we can know, finally talk about lovingly. <laughs> that's Yeah, totally. It's just stuff that um, we're, we're kind of surprised to know it exists and we're wondering why it's not talked about more because it's not it's not acclaimed but it's also not a cult favorite and so we got to discover what's happening there and you know sometimes that gives us a uh, poison ivy 2 lily but sometimes it gives us a the rage carry 2 and yeah. so I, I like throwing the dice on these ones occasionally and let's be honest we should have known with poison ivy 2 that that was probably not going to be a secret banger and that's on us <laughs> true if, if we had just looked <laughs> up a bit more about that original poison ivy yeah we would have known i thought I think. we were getting a slasher movie man that was my bad you didn't genuinely think that. I think we knew pretty early it was it was pretty erotic thrillery. And it, whatever, it doesn't matter. Right now, it does not matter. We have no time <laughs> to debate right. this. We have to get to the okay. fly too. We All can't right. keep fly doing two. this. Well, I guess to do that, the easiest thing to do is uh is ask what you thought, huh? That's probably the easiest way to get to it. Um, I'm very curious to see what you did think, especially if your focus was initially going to be kind of more effects based. Um, were you pleasantly surprised at all by everything else? How'd you feel? All right, so this one um, paid mm. off for me, man. Paid yeah? off in fucking spades, dude. This is going on my Mount Rushmore rage carry two status. Wait, wait, really? Yep. Wow. Poltergeist, Poltergeist three status, the original fly status. This to me is just as good as the David Cronenberg version. Wow. I, I fucking loved this the effects of course killed it but the story the acting everything got me i am so excited to now have this movie in my arsenal because uh, i feel like i have something new and it sounds like this won't be a poltergeist 3 next generation thing where we bond over that but uh that's okay you know you, you know that's life sometimes tell me more about like what give me one thing that surprised you at how good it was like just hone in on one thing quick and then i'll give you my take on it sure. i'm just curious so, to see like what struck you in a way that you weren't expecting that really elevates it that way sure so really quickly i was surprised at the premise of this movie i think this is such a clever and respectful way to go about sequelizing a movie when you don't have the original actors the little bit that they do with uh gina davis lookalike is really just to get the ball rolling and that's okay but from then on i think making the the focus um jeff goldblum seth brundle's son is so clever because it gives it gives the story to someone new lets you um have a similar story but from a different perspective. And it really makes sense here because a lot of the fly deals with um, genetics and your genetic makeup and this idea of um, Seth Brundle's struggles being passed down to the next, his, his next in line is really, really cool. And it taps in to really easily to themes that were established in that original movie. The climax of the fly has Jeff Goldblum trying to form 
Gina Davis and his unborn child into one because it's the only way he can get his um, any bit of his humanity to live on. He wants more of himself in the world because he's losing himself so much. And so to follow his son in this movie, I wasn't expecting it at all. So I was in on that. And then when it turned out that the actors for um, the son, both at age three, which is really about age 10, and at age five, which is really about uh, sex 20 years age. old or so, sex age, age enough to have sex. Um, I, I, I loved both those actors and I loved the actress for Beth. I immediately clicked on to the chemistry between Eric Stoltz and Beth's actress. And wow. So and y- like you my, don't know her name. <laughs> well, it's a movie, man. It's a movie. I don't know. I like the characters. It's Daphne. Um, her name is Daphne Zuniga, just for the record. Okay. Um, I, yeah, I, I loved that relationship. And I, I, once I was in on the story and, and the places it was going, then when the effects turned out to be killer, I mean, I was super duper stoked. Um, but I was just so amazed that everything tying those effects together, the story of this whole thing taking place in a lab, sort of like a Truman Show-esque lab where this kid is being monitored, but he's being monitored because uh, his superiors love him and are looking out for the best in him, but really they're just uh, selfish and only concerned with uh, their wallets, really, um, and their legacy. I loved that story, and I think this was just a perfect, perfect continuation of The Fly. Um, and it's a bit different, but it's still what I loved about the original one. And uh, so many little things in between, man. Love the ending, love a lot of the action sequences. Uh, I love uh, a lot of the little bits of dialogue that made me connect to these characters. I just loved every everything about this movie. That's awesome. Like I, I, I do think I've shown my hand already, but I do think it's valuable that we can also find movies that do that for just one of us. You know what I mean? Like that's still equally good to me. Right. Yeah. That like that when it like really hits, I'm like, if it just really hits one of us, that's still a win in my book. You know what I mean? Yeah. To all the boys I've loved before. Well, let's not <laughs> top 10 of the year. <laughs> <laughs> don't hide away from it Corey. i'm not don't hiding away, away from it i i still believe that but there was stuff in my top face. 10 that was not carry to level that's a whole other ball game there's a lot of space between 10 and 1 yeah fair enough <laughs> um but yeah this movie was it was okay um, I'm trying to avoid using using this uh, a particular word because I used it a lot early on and it basically stopped meaning anything. Uh, this movie was fine. <laughs> um, well, that was a quick turnaround. Yeah, well, I decided it's easier to just use it. Um, it was fine. <laughs> um, it was part of a bit, Liam. I'm building a bit. Um, there's stuff about it I like. There's stuff about it I think especially good. Um, I thought a lot of it was kind of boring. Uh, I think the creature design sucks ass. Um, I, I was pleasantly surprised by the ending. I think some of it kind of, I just, I don't know if I want to say it like meanders, but I was just sort of, I wasn't, my heart was not in it the way your heart sounds like it was in it. That's, that's all pretty much. 
Gotcha. Well, uh, shit. Where do we go from here, Corey? I don't know. I do just want to hone in. Uh, maybe let's start on um, with the one of the things I mentioned that might be a point of contention. Uh, what do you think about the design at the end when Martin is full fly? I dug it. I dug it. I I uh, <laughs> I thought it reminded me of gremlins once they're in water okay i I was really interested to learn afterwards that uh the director of this movie and of course the 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 dude who's doing the makeup he uh he designed the gremlin he was okay he is gremlins yeah and so i thought that was really interesting but yes i liked it um i i know what you mean that I, I can see someone not liking it. It's sort of like werewolf movies where like you'll get all sorts um, of designs that hit some people and some people it just doesn't work for. And this one, it did take me a, 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 maybe a scene or two to get my mind around. But once the fly is up and moving around and like petting that dog on the head and shit, yeah. I was totally he, sold. The thing is, it doesn't really look like a fly, does it? No, it's like a... It's, like, <laughs> it's definitely more of a... Well, there's definitely a lot of human in there, but but I know what you mean. As a fly, yeah. it's definitely don't more really look like, like a fly. It was just, yeah, um, I don't know. Just something about it, I just rubbed me the wrong way. I just I I didn't like that, so that kind of took me out of the end because I thought it was kind of goofy, like in movement. Um, so I had a hard time taking it seriously at the end, and then beyond that, I just I didn't particularly like it. And I think in a really effects-driven ending, like you buying into the look of the monster is very important. So that kind of takes a little bit away from that, I think. Um, rest of the effects, like, yeah, they're astounding. They're really, really great. They're gross as fuck. Um, again, and do you have any favorites? Um, I don't know. Um, the grossest thing was probably when he's in like he's not the the fly yet but he's back at the the facility and they've got him like in the gross sack and she like pops it open and it just oozes a lot oh, for yeah. a long time that was yeah. fucking terrible but oh yeah there's a lot of goop in this movie yeah man. and it made me it made me feel bad but um i don't know uh nothing sticks out but it's just uniformly great you know what i mean like the quality is retained yeah yeah fair enough some that i really loved um there was a, a wicked face melting scene in the climax. Yeah, that was um, good. That was great, and it was also it was preceded by like I, I think a great setup and payoff. Um, one of the security guards says, "There's no sign of him anywhere," and then immediately, fucking fly comes out, and he's yeah. just a big ass fly, and he, he flies all over the dude's face and melts it, and it's awesome. And then right after that, you get a an head getting crushed in an elevator. That was sick. A lot of good stuff. Yeah, um, there was a moment that reminded me because I had seen it recently on Twitter of, and I can't remember what it is right now. And I wrote a note in everything, and the note is just not jogging my memory. Uh, that reminded me of the Doc Ock scene in Spider Man <laughs> in the oh, Raimi Spider Man. Yeah. yeah, like the um, Doc Ock scene in the hospital. Yeah, there's a moment Great. similar to that in this, where he's like in like a very clinical environment, like sort of like doing the stalking kind of thing. Or the like, just taking everybody out kind of thing. I actually wrote down several times that there are moments in this movie that feel like Raimi Spider-Man. So to see that the music guy worked on one of those is fascinating to me. 
and that's how that's how we got the job sam Raimi, <laughs> and he was like yo your work in um the fly 2 inspired me so much that i want to mimic my movie off of the yeah. fly 2 and i don't know if that's girl. really precisely what i mean i do think that this movie does a good job occasionally of threading like a classic tone that sort of speaks more to the 50s bit i would assume with um the the 80s one uh the music i think has a very sort of like classical kind of like classical hollywoodish kind of feel to it at moments that helps carry that home i'm thinking even like when the monsters around it the music sort of helps uh diverge the tone a little bit by feeling a bit um more classical but um there's also moments where it's like there's violence but not a ton of blood um or like people die but not in like not always in super graphic ways like there's a few people who like there's like even cutaways and then they cut back to the results and that also feels like a holdover from that yes um, yeah there is one in particular where we see um a nurse i believe it's like a nurse like character mm. and you see her hanging from rafters like bent over and there's yeah, blood yeah all over. That was, yeah that's I, janeway I, I the doctor that. that like gives them the medicine that doesn't do anything yes um yeah the the stuff that the the Spider-Man thought initially came from when he's starting to turn into the fly and he's doing all the jumping and running around. Oh, yeah, the parkour. This yeah. is some sick ass parkour. Yeah, yeah I know. Um, totally. And something about Eric Stoltz being the person doing it too, like the physique and also just like the behavior. It was pretty Toby Maguire. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he would have been a really good Peter Parker. And um and a good Marty McFly. Justice for Eric Stoltz. Do you think do you think I don't? I don't think he would have been better than Michael J. Fox, no. but I do think he would have been good. Yeah, I think the movies would because, have been just fine with him. I'll put it that yeah, way. Yeah, and this was my first Eric Stoltz movie, and so all I knew him from was, "Hey, this was almost Marty McFly." And so I was thinking about that. I was, I was watching it, and not only does he look a lot like Michael J. Fox in, certain I can see scenes, why they were but, both in the running. Yeah, but he he he's got the charm. It's just Michael J. Fox has. A, a little bit of an extra x factor there his charisma that, that, is like boundless in yeah, a way yeah, that i think eric stoltz's does have bounds yeah there's some special charisma whereas eric stoltz he's a bit more of a slow burn i think yeah no i would i would agree with that um but yes the parkour dude the parkour shit is so fucking wild and it's got no there's no reveal he just suddenly starts doing it <laughs> Yeah, and I thought I thought it looked so so cool. Yeah, he it he jumps so dumb. <laughs> it looks dumb. Oh, dumb man. does not mean bad, but it does look dumb. Man, the, nah. the jump that he makes onto Beth's houseboat looks fucking dumb as hell. Oh, dude, I thought it, I. I thought it looked I thought it looked like real man. Like I was just like, this is what a dude with fly fucking powers would jump like. <laughs> maybe we and don't honest, know we have honestly, no way of knowing it, it looks better than when toby Maguire is jumping between the buildings in the first spider-man when he's first figuring out his powers it looks better than that wow shots fired at sam raimi hot take though that movie is also a 10 out of 10 we'll get to it when we do spider-man 3 yeah um but i guess uh maybe we should rewind a bit I've, um so i don't i don't know i don't have a ton to say about the early part of the movie where like the kids growing up it's like a lot of just like sort of narrative setup, like the thing with the dog and um, the stuff with uh, the Bartok character whose performance is great. Lee Richardson crushes that as like the, yeah. the pleasant and welcoming, but also conniving and shitty like scientist man, businessman. Great. 
But well, um, hey, well, why don't I jump in a bit then in the early bits? Sure. This is when the movie did yeah. really, really wrote me in. Coming of age. So, guy. um, coming of age guy. We have someone crawling through a big ass vent shaft in this movie. I love that. A Breakfast vent shaft so big. Dare I say, it's not a vent. Exactly. It made me think. What is the first movie to do someone crawling through a vent shaft that is far too? big because i love it and it's definitely like a cliche <laughs> but i wonder where it comes from i think of breakfast club but it had to be a thing before that yeah i don't know maybe some industrial movie about vent repair yeah maybe <laughs> <laughs> but that sounds like they would want to have uh, a real size vent so you know what the deal is yeah. what if, what if uh, it was a video that teaches you how to repair really big vents Maybe, yeah. Or or it was the uh, sequel to the vent repair movie where like things are just bigger and dumber because the Yeah, they had, they understand. got a budget that time because the first one went yeah. really well. Yeah. So they lose the they lose the soul of it for bigger and better. Um yeah, but beginning coming of age thing, I, I dug it. I think because I was really into the the actor who was playing this younger kid, it made me um it made it easy for me to clue into this. And I just loved following this kid in this lab setting. Him talking to the dog was when I was really like, holy shit, I'm so into this. Like I could, you referring to it as narrative setup is exactly right. Because I I remember thinking as I was watching this that I could read this as a novel. Like this is like first 150 pages of a novel where you're just setting it up and and learning about the main character's space in that world. And I... I thought the pace was perfect for that. I loved seeing his reactions to some of these experiments that sort of come and go. Nothing is treated too big. It's all just, it's a really, really nice pace for me because I know that shit's going to go down in the fly too. I'm waiting for these effects. And so I thought it was really considerate to start really slow. And I think that the first big moment in this um, that is the hint of what's to come was handled so well. And that would be mm. when when three-year-old, aka 10-year-old Marty, the younger actor of Marty, sees the, the Brundle teleport pod for the first time through that window on the upper floor. He's kind of sneaking around the lab and he sees it. And some music kicks in that like shows you that this is what the movie is about. This yeah. is really big and i absolutely loved that and then he of course sees his dog getting teleported this dog that i'm already attached to that we know he's attached to and i thought that was just such a perfect perfect moment if this were a novel i mean it's a great placement in the movie and it's a great way to establish uh what his relationship is going to be with the people who work at the lab growing up and what his relationship is going to be with this science because he's now experienced this traumatic event as a kid and and when he screams after seeing what happens to the dog, the people who work at the lab come and comfort him, um, you know, as if they're looking out for him. And so I just, I loved the dynamic. And I thought that that scene was really powerful at, at illustrating all those elements in the movie. Yeah. Um, it, it's weird. Um, I don't really disagree with any of that. Um, it's just that it, I wasn't at the same level you're at. You know what I mean? Like, it's doing that narratively for sure. Uh, And I totally get it. I just wasn't at the same, like, enthusiasm level with it. Uh, I was just sort of like, okay, cool. Nice. Sort of, uh, middle of the road feels like a bit mean. Not mean, but like, 
I it was it was it was it was good. It was like cool, and then moved on. So it's weird because, um, I I don't have like a huge sort of set of disagreements with like especially with like your characterization of that. Um, I just wasn't as excited about it, and also I didn't like the kid very much. Uh, oh yeah, like well, the that's, actor that's, of the kid, which is a purely preferential a, thing, for sure. But that's a big deal breaker, though. If you're not gonna like him, then you're gonna have trouble with the beginning part of this movie, and that that totally makes sense. You know, who's to say when an actor works for someone and when it doesn't? But that's certainly I can see how that would affect it hugely. Yeah, it sort of made it feel like two different movies. Just the vibe I was getting off the kid felt like it belonged somewhere else. I don't know. Right. right. Whereas for me, it felt like the perfect prologue. And once we get Eric Stoltz in the older, um, in in the older form of Marty, uh, then I was like, oh, that's Eric Stoltz, and that's the full movie. Because I thought the movie was gonna stick entirely with the younger kid. I thought that was Eric oh, Stoltz. God. I, I, I would I, I would have hated that. <laughs> I, I didn't know um, what what year this came out and what age Eric Stoltz was. And so I had no idea that this was just the setup for what was to come. And so when it happened, I, I just had even more to appreciate. Cause I was like, Oh shit, I liked this younger kid. Yeah. And now that's Eric Stoltz. And now I like what he's doing too. So yeah, no, for uh, sure. It was cool. Um, yeah. And, uh, then we do get Eric Stoltz. Um, Eric Stoltz took a while to grow on me. I think. Was this your introduction to the Stoltz man? Yeah. And then I really liked him. And then I think he gets bad at the end. (laughs) Mm. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a real U shape of my, of my Eric Stoltz experience. Um, I think he just takes a bit of getting used to. I think he sort of grows into the role a bit. Like the further it goes on, the more comfortable you get with him and the better I think he gets at doing it. I think early on, it's just, it's a very kind of tepid. Because the character is, is that. He hasn't been given a lot of freedom or space. And he just doesn't have a lot going on. And so you're just like, okay. I think as he's the character is given more space and more individuality. And more freedom in that way. Uh, I think Eric Stoltz really grows into it. And I do think the dynamic with um, Daphne Zuniga and the Beth character is like awesome, 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 awesome. The stuff with them I really, really, really like. Um, especially the early stuff where they're just kind of hanging out and um yeah like the montage was nice and i was just gonna say the same thing that montage of them just hanging out in the lab and it was set to music that uh kind of sounded like the carpenters i don't know who it was exactly but it it was a really sweet song choice yeah yeah i I like that i just like them i like the look of them together they just look like two people that should be standing next to each other you know what i mean yeah and it, (laughs) it makes sense that uh Seth's son, who actually I thought l- would look a lot like a young Jeff Goldblum, um, it, it makes sense that he would also go for a woman that has like big, curly, dark hair that kind of looks like Gina Davis from the original. I thought that was kind of fun. Yeah, and I and I do think um, Daphne Zuniga is really great as Beth. I think Beth is the one person that feels like a real human being, which is important to have. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Well, she's she's definitely um, the most kind and like fully rounded person. Whereas the other characters in this movie, you know, the yeah, big like officials. Lee Richardson the is awesome, but he's like a caricature, but he's crushing it. Yeah, yeah, and he's and his character is just like a lot more um, focused on on one thing. Yeah, you know, he's he's not. I guess what I'm saying is that the other characters are sort of have something that. Um, that is 
that <laughs> I guess is just like making them a more like like a worse person. You know what I mean? Like Eric Stoltz, he's not a bad guy at the beginning, but he's someone that grew up in a very restrained and um tough set of circumstances and so he's going to behave a certain way and lee richardson's character is someone that is really focused on on his work and getting what he wants on controlling done. the so, biology of the world yeah and so he's not going to feel as like such a full real character because he's he's a bad dude and a lot of bad people i think we don't like to hang out with them in real life because like they don't feel as full of a person it's just like oh man you're just being shitty again yeah, right. no, I think it totally works. But and I, yeah, it's like she's sweet. Yeah, she is really sweet, and I think the introduction is great because she's like pretending to fish while on a shitty night shift, and yeah, that um, was, they that sort was of fun. gradually kind of hang out and like the giving her clearance, and then when they have an argument, he says, "You no longer have clearance." Is so fucking funny and dumb because, <laughs> yeah. and I think that sort of shows like the lack of socialization that he has up to that point, um, just with other people like in quote unquote his age where like that's like the line that's the go-to line is you no longer have clearance <laughs> i'm gonna use that from now on hell that's yeah a good one. um but uh no i really like them and i like how that sort of develops because it does start of like ah, oh, these are good friends like i like them just hanging out and then it's like there's they add more to it to sort of add the romantic emotional weight and i'm still there with it i'm like yeah totally i could see i could see how this is going this way um yeah ig- ignoring then- the fact that he's five yeah, um, before you know it, she's fucking a five-year-old. Before you know it, Beth is fucking a five-year-old. Um, she lives on a houseboat, which I just want to reiterate because what a wild thing to try to just give a character that never really pays off, other than her house is by some other boats. Like they never sail it anywhere. <laughs> like it never. I know. And yeah. the fishing never factors in, other than the bait was a fly. <laughs> I really thought there was going to be some kind of fishing angle. <laughs> I know, like that's she. She's such a real person that, that you expect her to go fishing. Yeah, and and she's so real that um that she has qualities about her that like a real person might have, like interesting things, but it doesn't make them a film character. You know what I mean? Like yeah. in film, everything you show has to matter, and she's so real that we get aspects of her that don't matter, but she just has them because she's a real person. You know, like some people just might live on a houseboat. It don't define them. It's yeah. just they just have. I will say it's fascinating that they appear to live somewhere where winter exists, and she still lives on a boat. <laughs> hey man, like, maybe it's just uh, whatever floats shit, your boat, I man. Never fly. I know that I had a dream to be, to just live on a boat when I was a kid. Do you so not have I'm, that dream anymore? No, no, I don't like fishing and I get seasick. Ooh, rough. You that was a rude awakening, huh, for kid Liam? Yeah, yeah. It's like in Little Miss Sunshine when Paul Dano realizes that he's colorblind and can't be a pilot. It's just we all went through <laughs> some stuff. Everyone realized one day that they couldn't be a pilot. Loss of innocence. That's why I love this story because um, Beth never lost her innocence. Nah, Beth is great. Well, I mean, she very much does at the end of the movie. If she oh, if she shit. hadn't up to that point, she very much does. That's right. She um, does. And yeah, so he's trying to get the teleporter pods to work that his dad made, and he does. Um, I'm I'm content to just skip to the part where he does. He puts a cat in there, and Beth is like, "Yo, dude, you can't put a cat in there. You destroyed my cactus. You can't put a cat in there." And then the cat's fine. And so they work, which is great. That was kind of the goal. And the the uh-oh in the story is that uh, 
He starts turning into a fly. And uh, that's obviously an upsetting experience to go through. And um, it sort of comes at odds with the people at the facility who, A, had just sort of been waiting for this part. And they were hoping to kill two birds with one stone by fixing the teleporters with his genius. And then keeping him as a specimen because he's turning into a fly. So they, Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Genius. I love that scripting. Um, and so they flee like you do in a movie and they they try to get away uh they have that classic bit where there's a news report about them on tv while they're trying to check into a motel and you need to try to act inconspicuous and beth does potentially the worst job of that anyone's ever done (laughs) she immediately looks the most suspicious imaginable but then has to chase uh martin down anyway and there's a very rapid sort of deterioration of that and they seek out a character from the first movie I've learned via the internet and uh, have a talk about what he can maybe do. Martin realizes that the trick is that he can swap some of his fucked up genes for genes that work, but he has to get them from a regular person and he will turn them into a nightmare man. So he's got to weigh that choice while being hunted, basically. Yeah, I, I loved this character, Stathis, from the first movie. Um seeing him here i i loved his dry wit i like that he's the person they go to for guidance near the end i think if you've got to keep anyone from the original story this is probably the best way to go you know because you're telling an original tale that extends from the first one but then you're also you know this is the eugene levy of the american pie franchise (laughs) just here to be kind of funny and uh despondent but also give you some sage advice you know i loved it i loved um i loved the references he had that showed that he was from uh the other movie you know just having that connective tissue was cool like when he first sees martin and he says oh, i see the resemblance meaning yeah you know, between him and his dad because he's already started to become fly man at that point and then um he says to marty who's turning into a fly he says uh with regards to your dad your mother blew his brains out there's your cure so it's just so savage like it's almost like the solution of the first movie is confronting these characters and it's like it's not gonna work again so what do you do so it it had me even more interested in the ending because it's uh it's showing that this is a bit of a different tale than that first one you know and that's made evidently clear from the spin on this that he's gonna become a fly no matter what this isn't oh man, someone else put themselves in a teleporting pod and there happened to be a fly in it again. How wacky, you know? this is He's genetically predisposed to becoming a fly. (laughs) Yeah, which I think carries like so much thematic weight to it. Um, I I love that idea of inheritance and just stuff that you're kind of destined into because of what your parents did and your parents' genes. And so I thought that was so sweet. So I I was totally sold on, on both those aspects and those tweakings of the original story yeah no for sure. and then before we get to the 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 end uh because we've sort of been gesturing toward the end a lot and i guess i mean end kind of broadly because you could say the last like 20 minutes or so um i, I want to just talk like aesthetically and visually quick um i think like the overall like production design aesthetic is fine because like it's a lot of it's very clinical so it's very like this is a lab this is industrial this is whatever. And you sort of just get it very quickly. Um, and obviously the pod design was sort of come up with for them. Uh, the, the layout of his apartment is nuts. And oh, uh, yeah, like with that open door and like a weird mid-level staircase and all the decor is just crazy. It's extremely yeah. late eighties. 
Um, I, that's exactly what I said to my girlfriend. I yeah. was like, man, this is like high class 80s. Oh, and I fucking like, yeah, love, I loved that apartment. That apartment was nuts. Yeah, we loved it too. It's so sick. Um, and, uh, oh, and here, let me jump in one little thing that we might not get a chance to mention otherwise. There's a great moment um, where, let me just find it here uh, so I can refer to it. Exactly. Okay, so I got it. So, um, when they they start to get worried about Marty because he's onto them after he's discovered. Are the you saying Marty just to rub it in that he did not play Marty McFly? Are you really just driving that home? Because nobody well, calls I, him Marty. Are you a, doing a, this to dunk on Eric Stoltz? No, there is a Marty in there, and someone says Marty, and it was at that moment that I realized that Marty's last name in Back to the Future is Mick Fly, and I thought it was absolutely hilarious. Oh, wow. <laughs> My mind was blown. <laughs> um, and also because I feel a, a much closer kinship with Eric Stoltz and his younger actor here in this movie, so I feel like we're friends, and so we're on Marty level. So... There's, there's a great scene where Marty discovers that there's a, a video camera in his apartment and they've been watching him even though his uh, his superior said, no, you're on your own now. They've been watching him. And so the people at the lab know that he's onto them. And they say, after watching him destroy the camera, they say, where is he now? And the other dude says he could be anywhere. And then Marty immediately bursts through the door in the video room. And it just shows that even though he, they said he was going to be independent, wherever that apartment was must have been super close to the lab because he broke down the video camera and then got to the lab. So, oh, quickly. my God. I, yeah, yeah, actually. Yes, yes, yes. The I, single, I thought that was the so single cool. greatest scene in this movie is when they say, we don't know where he is, and the door fucking explodes off the hinges. Yeah, yeah. They, where is he now? Where is he now? And they go, could be anywhere. And then immediately, oh, like it's honestly, that it is so was so it is so good. great. It is so greatly like blocked and choreographed. And and then I so I thought it was super funny, but then I thought, oh man, that must mean that his apartment is really close to the lab. Yeah, I don't think I don't up. think his apartment was off like their industrial campus because he says we should go for a walk. But they don't seemingly go that far, and they cut to the interior. So I don't think it was that far away. Yeah. So I I love that little touch that they've they've set him free, but not that free. You know. Yeah. I thought that was really. Cool. Um. You know that scene fucking rips. It's hilarious. I laughed really hard. <laughs> but yeah, I, I I aesthetically, it's it's some of it's really interesting, but I think a lot of it just sort of feels very run of the mill. Um. Like. Yep, this is what a horror movie is lit like when you're moving through a dark hallway. You got like slits of light because we're in an industrial setting and that's what a movie looks like. I don't know. Did you have that problem at all? I felt like it was very like stock sort of visually. I get what you mean, run of the mill. I guess the way it came across to me is that it's just it looks as real as it needs to. There's nothing fancy about it. And so it made me really easily latch on to the story on a very real sure. level because I felt connected to the characters and I felt like the location was real. And I think any larger flair than that might have taken me out of just buying into that story. You know, if there were like some Ari Aster, like camera flips or something. Or, <laughs> yeah, I don't know uh, if I wanted flair. It's just, it it's very familiar 
in a way yeah. that's just kind of like trite because we've been here before. And because it's not, it won't shy away from crazy effects or a man jumping onto a boat or blasting a door off its hinges at a moment's notice that there could have been a couple additional things yeah. in there. I'd say the furthest it gets to anything is that gross wet pit where that fucked up dog lives. Oh man, I loved that. Yes, I'm totally with you. And they really know how to pace that scene. They dwell on it. I think this movie has some really great pacing for its big moments, actually. So um, the dog scene, when it's in that pit, you really linger on the dog and just like watch it crawl around and eat its like clam chowder stuff. And so that was really impactful. And then when we return to it at the end of the movie, it's a really long shot of watching this beast crawl out of this hole and um in terms of editing like that not to get too far away from visuals but in terms of editing i, mean, it I goes, thought it all goes together it's fine cool so the editing i really found during the last half an hour or so when when a lot of more actiony stuff was happening the movie did a great job at keeping me guessing not knowing when they were going to show things and not knowing what the outcome was going to be so there were a couple occasions like we talked about where we cut away from the action shot and then we see the aftermath um but then we also get stuff where um the elevator is lowering down and there's someone under it and he's screaming for a long time and it it lasts so long that I thought he was going to get pulled out of there. I, I was I was tense. It didn't lose the tension for me. It didn't go on that long, but I thought that he was going to get saved and then the elevator crushes his head and I'm like, holy shit. And um, there's, a, there's another instance where uh, the gunmen are coming into the lab as the timer is elapsing and um uh marty is about to teleport with um our talk yeah so um there's a really nicely paced scene where gunmen come into the the lab as marty is about to teleport and meld with bartok and um and they the teleportation happens and then this beast crawls out of the pod and it really lingers on it. And I couldn't tell for like 15 seconds whether or not they were connected. I, I couldn't tell what happened if the plan worked or if they had been melded into one disgusting beast. Um, they did another playing with uh, tension and results when Marty teleports the cactus and he takes it out to impress Beth and he's holding it, but you don't actually see what's in his hands for about 20 seconds. You're kind of seeing behind his shoulder, and you know that he's looking at something, but you can't tell if it worked or not. And so I thought this movie was really cleverly paced in that way, that it, it really kept me on the edge of my seat, and it kept surprising me because I wasn't sure when we were going to see something disgusting. I wasn't sure if... Uh, something bad or something good was going to happen and then we get stuff like where is he now he could be anywhere and marty immediately bursts through the door so i think this movie kind of had a lot of different ways of going about a punchline that really kept me into it and so having that stuff on top of the kind of realistic looking lab made those bigger moments really pop for me so that's how the editing and cinematography work together yeah, I'm glad you liked it that much because I found uh, with a lot of those moments, like there wasn't really any tension in a lot of it, um, especially like 
the elevator thing. I thought it was very, uh, to me, it felt very clear that that man was going to get crushed by that elevator because gotcha. he had a lot of time where he could have walked out from under there and uh, he doesn't do that. So it's like, okay, he's going to get, he's going to get squished. Um, And then, I don't know, I guess the ending, the ending, I like the ending like narratively. I like that it actually ends up being the like comeuppance moment. Um, I think it feels a bit weird. Like the chase portion lasts. It doesn't last like too long, but I feel like it, it goes through a lot of motions of like the fullness of a chase, but I don't feel like I'm getting a lot out of it. Um, and then like you have like shitty security guard and it's like, okay. Yeah. You reminded me of Biff from back to the future. I think you just really have it out for Eric Stoltz, not being a back to the future. <laughs> Um, Dude, no, but but the security guard had it out for Marty. There was that scene where Marty's lying on the ground and Biff is just like, you're you're a loser. And he's just like really going in on Marty. It yeah, was, it was. Um, yeah, I don't know. It, it sucks because like I want to be on that level with you and I'm just not. <laughs> but I want to be there. But I just it was all right. <laughs> I'll tell you, man, it's a good it's a good place to be. Yeah. Um. Is there so else? what did you? Oh. Well, what did you think of the the execution of the very very ending, like the stinger, where you get the reveal that Bartok has been? Uh, oh, I changed. Did, I didn't like that actually. Wait, well, uh, which part okay. is the stinger? Which part do you mean? Do you mean when they come out of the pod, or when he crawls up to the food bowl at the end? When he crawls up to the food bowl, I did not like that because it's okay. very very sudden, and then the credits just sort of start. Oh and I was, man! I was that- like, oh, we're done. Okay, whatever. That's that's my shit. As that sequence was happening and we got we get the really big narrative resolution where Marty is saved and his plan worked and it's very different from the original fly. I dug that. I thought it was so suitable. And then when we start to see this creature crawl out of the place that Marty's poor dog was sequestered in earlier in the movie, a really memorable set. Um, and yeah. we returned there. I was like, holy shit, is this what I think it is? If this is like the very ending of the movie, I'm going to be so stoked. So when the credits hit, it was exactly what I wanted. It felt like Tales from the Crypt ending. It like felt like the dude got his. And yeah. I love I, the effects. I love that it was wordless and we just watch it happen. I thought it was perfect. I don't mind that being the ending. I literally just thought like the moment the credits started was just weird. I was like, oh, we're done. Like, I expected that scene to be the end, but I didn't expect that moment of that scene to be the end. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, yeah, maybe the camera so. was going to, like, pull up and away or something, and then you can end it. Um, sure. I thought it felt kind of... I, I thought it felt kind of sudden and weird. I think in other contexts, it definitely works um, better. Oh, uh, also, just want to mention before I forget, there's a moment where uh, Stathis says, uh, my Jeep is in the garage. Uh, and then it's a Chevrolet SUV, and that bothered me because it's not Stathis, a Jeep. Stathis is me. If I had a Chevrolet, SUV, it's your I would own call car. Know what your own uh, car is called? This isn't rocket science. I I've never known. I haven't owned a car myself, but I uh, have had cars that seemed like mine. Friend cars that I was in every night. My parents' cars. My girlfriend car. I don't know a single car name. I'm with you, Stathis. I would have just bought that shit not looked at it it drives <laughs> well, like a jeep sounds like it's a jeep <laughs> jeep machine goes brrr. but yeah man uh 
some stuff I liked. Some stuff's like fun and goofy and silly. Some of it's just kind of heartfelt and nice. The effects are great, but it did not coalesce into anything more than like, um, like a middle of the road sort of two and a half, three out of five kind of deal. Right. Yeah. Do you have like closing thoughts? I want you to tie a bow on this one because you're a lot more excited than I am about it. Also, a bit of my enthusiasm is being sapped by how hot this fucking room is. Like, oh, man. I'm tired. <laughs> I'm sweaty. It sucks. Yeah. How hot my room is is just like making me more desperate to get my point out. I feel like it's going to be the last thing I do. That's why I had a few moments where I was trying to close because I said we weren't going to go long this week and then we did again and I'm just like, I'm so oh. hot. <laughs> I don't think you were expecting me to love it. If I had been where you were, that might be the same. But yeah, closing hey man, the, thoughts. The podcast gods decide how long our episodes will be. We don't. <laughs> I'm just so excited to have found another movie like this. And um, season two, I think I'm kind of on a pattern now between Texas Chainsaw and this with Scoob in between. If we keep this up, Corey, I'm going to have one episode on where I get like a 10 out of 10 undiscovered gem. And then I'm going to get a It's Fine movie, another gem. So uh, well, when, here's as the we thing. curate this season, let's keep that in mind. I was going to say, you can't get too excited, though, because you did have to watch Mamma Mia in there for an upcoming episode. That will happen at a later date. And um, right. I'm willing to bet that was not a slam dunk film for you. We will right, find but- out at a later date. And that would have put two not quite slam dunks in a row. <laughs> Yeah, but people don't know that because release order is a big thing. So <laughs> that's true, that as we've established. Out, when that comes out, I'm gonna I'm gonna demand that that comes out in between two bangers. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we'll try to we'll try to make sure our, our special guest for that episode uh, can schedule in between two bangers. And all that is to say that that's only the case if I didn't love the shit out of Mamma Mia. Well, yeah, which we'll he see. may well have. We'll find out. Tune in soon. I don't know when, but soon. <laughs> Soon-ish. Um, do you want to get out of here so we can go cool off? Do we want to? Do we want to? Oh. Do we want to break the fiction? <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Let's go cool off, and I'll go watch the fly too again. Shit, yeah. I'm I'm really glad you liked it genuinely, and there is stuff to like for sure. In terms of like a recommendation, I feel like this is my answer a lot. There are worse ways to spend your time, and if there's a chance you are gonna respond like Liam, you may as well take the chance. You're depriving yourself if you're not taking the chance. Especially because it's not streaming or rentable anywhere. Some would say that makes it less accessible, but some might say because the only place to watch it is a free bootleg, it's even more accessible. You 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 just got to get creative. Install antivirus software. Adblock. Adblock. Um, Thank you once again for listening to another episode of They Made Another One. You can find us all over the internet on Twitter at they made another all one word and on Letterboxd at TMAO. You can find episodes on Anchor, Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Breaker, and everything else as they made another one. You can reach us via email at TMAOPodcast at gmail.com with recommendations for future episodes, questions, comments, and how you think Eric Stoltz would have done in the role of Marty McFly. Our fantastic thumbnail art is done by Jade Dickinson, who you can find on Instagram at Jade Sketches. Custom soundboard clips are courtesy of Jason DeLine, who you can find on Instagram at DeLineMan. We will do our best to actually include those next week. The heat was just making it impossible. Liam, where can people find you? You guys can find my film writing alter ego, Graham the Haunted Marshmallow, on Twitter and Letterboxd. My username is Graham the Mallow. 
Uh, and you can catch me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Mr. Corey Price. And we will be back next week with uh, not a banger from the sounds of it. So uh, prepare for middling takes next week to keep this pattern alive. From me, at least. Yeah, who Corey, knows? Corey might love it, so tune in. Yeah, we'll have to find out. And uh, we'll catch you here next week for more. They made another one? <laughs>